If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another episode of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. Today I have an expert episode for you featuring Dr. Elisa Hallerman. She has such an interesting story, just a personal story, but a story that led to such incredible work. We talk a lot about her book. She's the author of the book Soulbriety, which When I first saw the title of the book, I was immediately so intrigued. But Dr. Elisa has been sober for a long time. So we talk a lot about her journey to getting sober, which you guys know we related to a lot on that level. And she also talks about how about five years into her sobriety, she kind of reached a place of like, is this all there is? There has to be more. And really started following those little whispers that she was having and kind of kept pulling on it until it led to a complete career change, going back to school. So I think her story, we do talk a lot about addiction, but we talk a lot about just getting in touch with your soul, with yourself. And we do talk a lot about breakups too, about how she used the work to heal her own breakup what her breakup recovery has looked like now having this this framework. We talk about trauma bonds within this episode. So I think ultimately sobriety is about developing this inner communication with yourself, which I know so many of you desire. You want to know yourselves better. You want to have a better relationship with yourself, especially going through a breakup. So I highly encourage you all to check out her book. And here's our episode. Welcome, Dr. Elisa Hallerman to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. It is such an honor to have you on and I'm really excited for our convo today. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for inviting me on. If you could, if you're comfortable with it, would you mind telling your... So I feel like there's kind of two parts to your journey. There's like the sobriety and then the sobriety, which we'll get into. But can we start with what led you to your journey of sobriety? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you say, am I comfortable? I literally wrote a whole book about it. Okay. (laughs) I know some people are like, I I have a whole episode of my whole story, so I'm very open about it too, but I know some people aren't as. Totally. Totally. So basically my drinking started when I was about 16 or 17 years old. I had my first drink. And from the very beginning, I was drinking to get drunk. There was, I hated the taste of alcohol. And, you know, the first time I drank, I got really sick, threw up on the man of my dreams. And from that point on, I was like, this is amazing. Like, I can't wait to do this again. Yeah, I can't wait to do this again. Like I had this attention from the man of my dreams, although it was like not the kind of attention one would want. And I just was so floored by how immediately I felt better in every way. I felt smarter. I felt prettier. I felt funnier. Everything about me felt better. And so I was sort of from there wanted to, you know, chase that feeling. And looking back, I think I drank pretty alcoholically in college, but it was pretty much the norm. We were always drinking, drinking before we went to the bar, but I think I was drinking in my room and then drinking before we went to the bar and then drinking at the bar. So I always had that little extra, extra going. And eventually I graduated from college, went to law school, was drinking this whole time, but managing it if you could. and decided to, and I was living in New York City and practicing law and living with my boyfriend. And I just was really unhappy. It was like, I woke up and had this life that I was like, what am I doing? This isn't really what I set out for. Do I really want to be a lawyer? Do I really want to live with him? Do I even like living in New York City? These were like really big questions that I had to ask myself. And so when the opportunity arose for me to move to Los Angeles with my sister, I jumped at it. We moved to LA. I got rid of all the other things in New York. And I slowly started to figure out really what I wanted to do. And initially, I worked at a bar because that's what a good alcoholic would do, even though she was a lawyer. And then got a job working in the entertainment business. And when I got a job working in the entertainment business, which I knew absolutely nothing about, this was in the 90s. So this was pre-internet, didn't know anything about it, girl from Long Island, no clue, and started working in the entertainment business and became really close with one of my mentors. And he was this amazing friend of mine and only a few years older, also from New York all our friends became his friends became my friends and unfortunately he lost his life to suicide and when that happened i was suffering from immense ptsd and did not know it and this is 30 years ago no one was talking about trauma no one was talking about ptsd and that really created a lot of symptoms for me like ocd panic attacks, massive anxiety. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so when I found my way to drugs, that seemed to anesthetize all that panic and all that anxiety. And that's where drugs were really introduced. But it was 
a slow burn like it is for many people. It creeps in. It's not like we wake up and say, hey, I'm going to go down this path and become a drug addict or an alcoholic. It's very, very subtle. And for a long time, it was fun. It was cocaine, champagne. It was Hollywood. It was there was a lot of fun nights. And slowly, 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 that started to become really isolating, only alone in hotel rooms by myself in really dark days until I decided to get clean. And so that was sort of the trajectory. And I got sober when I was 33, two weeks before my 34th birthday. Everyone always would say, why don't you wait till after your birthday? And my answer was, I didn't even know it was my birthday. (laughs) And that's sort of how it goes because, right, it happens when it happens. And I was very lucky that I had that moment where I was exhausted and I actually had no idea that I was an alcoholic or a drug addict. No idea. I thought that I was losing my mind. I thought something was severely wrong with me. I did not understand why I couldn't control my drinking or using in the way that I used to be able to. I didn't understand at all why I felt psychotic at times. None of this made sense to me until I got just called for help and someone said, hey, let's go to a 12-step meeting. And when I got there, and they give you the literature and the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which we call, I went home like the geek that I am and I read it, which I know is very uncommon for the average person. And I was so relieved to find out that I was an alcoholic and a drug addict because there seemed to be some sort of solution that people were talking about. And while there was no cure, I was interested in just feeling better, at least for a minute, or I needed a break. I never went in thinking 21 years later, I would still be sober. I'm smiling so much because it's so crazy. And even though I've heard people tell their sobriety stories for so long, it still is like, wow, this is so crazy how similar they they all are. But I was laughing initially because my sobriety date's January 7th. And I had so many people ask, like, was it part of like a New Year's resolution? And I'm like, no, 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 it could have, it, <laughs> yeah. no. Exactly. I had no idea what, you know, that was never January 6th. Yeah. I never thought like tomorrow I'm going to get sober and oh, it's New Year's. I should set some resolutions. It had nothing to do with that. Exactly. I also read the book right when I got home. I had like really bad insomnia. And so I, I read it because I like couldn't sleep, but I had the same mm-hmm. exact feeling. I felt like my moral compass was broken because I was doing things that were so out of character for me, stealing, lying. And I too was just so relieved to realize, oh, there's, I'm not just a bad person. I just felt like Mm -hmm. such a bad person. And to know that there was something that I could point to and that there seemed to be something that I could do about it was, was such a relief. And, and I think a lot of people, they'll, if they can't figure out what's going on, they'll turn to self-medication in one way or another. And, mm-hmm. and I imagine too, when you went through the death of your friend, I mean, I think PTSD back in that time was like only qualified for people who had been to war, to war, 
and not, you know, it had nothing like the meaning that, that it has now. So, correct. so yeah. And then it seems like after you got sober, your career path just completely changed. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? Yes. So after I got sober, I was still working in the entertainment business. I was a very young agent, so I hadn't really started any sort of career trajectory. And once I got sober and was paying attention and was putting in effort, I started to really love what I was doing and started to have success, quote unquote. And I say quote unquote because it was very external. I really took that addiction mindset and just shifted it to workaholism Mm -hmm. and helping other people manage their lives and their careers and really didn't look at the underlying root cause of my addiction for many, many, many more years until I really learned what trauma was. So I put all of that energy into work and all of those benchmarks that I wanted to hit, you know, I wanted this, if I just got this title, if I just got this car, if I just got this client, and all of those things started to happen. And I, you know, and I had this, this success that I thought that I wanted that was going to make everything feel better. And I talk about waking up on my fifth sober birthday, and how monumental that was in that the day you decide to get sober, all those meetings that you go to, or all those days that you start clicking off, you feel like five years is such a big deal. And I remember waking up that morning and just feeling empty and feeling like something was still wrong and having gratitude for the five years, but also being so lost and confused as to why joy wasn't also a part of that gratitude. Mm. And that's when I really started to dig a little bit deeper and read books and say yes to things that were out of character and really go looking for a deeper form, I guess you could say, of spirituality. But I didn't really know what that meant. I had this spirituality from 12 step. I was interested in this design for living and believed that something greater than myself had helped me to get sober. I believed in God. I was brought up Jewish, but I did not have a deeper sense of self. And that's sort of where what took me on this journey of looking for something else. And so another five years of soul searching, I started to take some classes at night. I was interested in other things. I wanted to see what else was going to light me up. So while I was agenting, I started taking classes at UCLA. I'd gone on a trip with my dad and I read a ton of books and one of the books said, make a list of all the things you ever wanted to do in your life and all the things that it doesn't matter what it is, the things you wanted to do, the things you still want to do, the things you wanted to be when you were a little girl. 
So I started to create this list. And when I got home, I looked at it and I thought, okay, what are some tiny actions I could take towards the three top things on here? And the three top things were, I wanna be of service to women. I wanna learn more about addiction medicine and I wanna be an ER doctor. So I decided, okay, let's start with the ER doctor. It's just an exercise. Like we don't actually have to do this. Well, let's see where this exercise takes I was us. not expecting that to be number three. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I start Googling, right? Because I know I'm going to need to take my MCATs to get into medical school. And I start looking at, okay, what might be some classes I need to take? Because I already went to school for law. And so quickly, I realized the reason I went to school for law was because I was very bad at math and there was no way I was going to be able to go to medical school. So that dream died pretty quickly, but I was on the UCLA website and it led me to these classes that were about addiction and learning about addiction medicine. And so I decided, ah, I'll just sign up for this. And so that's what I did. And as I started to learn more about neuroscience and trauma and hear these words, I was like pulling the threads of, wow, this is interesting. That's interesting. I want to learn more about this. And being an agent, we have this mentality of, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call that person. So I would read a book and call the author. I would read an article and call the neuroscientist. Like I was just desperate for more and more information and that's what finally led me down the path of, okay, maybe I want to do something in the mental health field and eventually retire from the entertainment business. That's incredible. Well, it's so much like, I mean, it reminds me too of like the beginning of sobriety where you're just at that point where you're so willing to learn because you're just in such a place of, I just want something different for myself. And so mm -hmm. you're at that point where you're like, okay, I'll try this. Okay. I'll pick up the phone. Okay. I'll read this. I'll take this class. And I think that's such a, you know, bring it back to breakups at some point, which we will, but I think that is a, a point of a breakup too, is where if you can reach that point of being like, okay, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I want to, mm -hmm. I want to find myself. Cause I think that's a lot, that's a journey. A lot of people go through during a breakup and just pulling the threads of, okay, what do I want to do? I love that exercise that you did. And just what's mm -hmm. a little thing that I can do each day to, to help with that or, or whatever that looks like. Yeah. Bringing it back to breakup. So I talk about the soul journey and sort of the 12 stages of what the soul journey looks like. But, you know, the first stage is really you're walking through your ordinary life. You're doing your day to day to day to day, whatever that is. And then we start to hear these whispers and the whispers are essentially headed towards these breakups, if you will. The whispers are asking you, do I like this job I'm in? Am I in love with this person? Do I want to live here anymore? really big questions that you know intuitively will lead to some dark nights, will lead to heartbreak, will lead to grief. And so what do we do? We just shush them. We shush them. We turn them away. But essentially, we do hear them long before we actually do something. And the more we turn them away and the more we turn them away, eventually, 
something will happen and they get louder and louder and louder until a brick house falls on your head and you're like, well, I didn't see that coming, but <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And then you're forced to be in place and really look at, well, what just happened here? And that's the part of the work where we really have to go and alchemize and, you know, our pain into purpose. And so there are a lot of breakups in the story. There's my breakup with alcohol and drugs, which was a big one because that was my first love. Yeah. And then there's the breakup with my career and this mask of Lisa Hallerman, the talent agent that I walked around in and believed myself to be for so long and had an attitude to go with it. And then there was an actual breakup and going through that in sobriety and while learning and, you know, and all of these things. And so there, it happens over the course of a lifetime where we're not just falling out of love with a person, but we're falling out of love with places and people and things that are meaningful to us. And heartbreak, you know, one of my favorite books about heartbreak was written by a woman named Jeanette Paris. And I'm not familiar I'm with gonna, her. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Yeah. Because I think your audience would really like it. Anyway, so I think there's a lot of heartbreaks along the way. And I know that in those moments where I was in that dark night, I really learned the most about myself and about redirecting my life in a way that was going to be meaningful and purposeful. Yeah. And I think the benefit of going through those things is when you do finally get to the place where you're willing to try new things, you're building this like toolkit for yourself that can be used regardless of its if it's a romantic breakup or a move or a career change or a friendship breakup. It's the tools are the mm, same for a breakup, lot of the that. things. Yep, exactly. Okay. Her name is Jeanette Paris with a G, okay. G-I-N-E-T-T-E. And the book is called Heartbreak, New Approaches to Healing. Yeah. New Approaches to Healing Recovery from Lost Love and Mourning. Okay. I will and on the show. That was it when I was in school though, that was like a common theme that I would say. When I went back to school to get my master's and doctorate in psychology, I studied depth psychology. She's a depth psychologist as well. And after I would read anything, I would literally see my professor. Are they still alive? Because I need yes. to call them. Like yeah. I need to I need to meet them. I love and, that you do that. Like it was the joke of my cohort because the next time we would meet They'd be like, did you have lunch with him yet? And I was like, yeah. well, yeah, <laughs> I did. <laughs> but it just shows you're like a sponge, like your willingness to learn and to keep learning. And and I'm curious, so the framework for sobriety, did that come after working in the addiction medicine space? Like, I'm so curious what you learned with working in that space with the new knowledge that you had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So Okay, so I'm leaving the entertainment business and I go and I get my 
drug and alcohol counseling certificate. So that's what I was studying at UCLA. And that really started my path on, oh, there's all this information out there that I don't think people know. There's every day there's new information. So that was very interesting to me. And so I started a consulting business and a sober living where it was nine beds for adult males, young adult males. And I had the house for two years, but what I loved about working in the field was this managing people's lives. So instead of managing people's careers or managing their legal issues prior to that, I was like, let me consult on people's health and mental health specifically and healing and recovery. And let me create an agency so that I can have other recovery managers that work there in different departments that will serve our clients in education, in legal, and so on. And to do all of that, I felt I needed to learn more. So I went back to school and I studied depth psychology with an emphasis on neuroscience and trauma. So it was when I studied depth psychology, which is very much centered around psyche and soul, that I started to learn what soul meant to me. I started to learn the difference between soul and spirit and how together they work so well. And I started to look through the lens of soul in treating my clients and in working with addiction and later trauma. And so my dissertation was called Soul Bridey. And essentially the question that the dissertation asked was, could practicing soul-centered healing lead to long-term recovery from addiction? And the answer from all of my participants was a resounding yes. But the caveat was they didn't know they were doing it because they didn't have language for soul. They didn't have language for soul work. And so many, many years later, when I decided to write the book over lockdown, because there were so many people suffering and I could not even get to as many people as I wanted to. And that's when I decided to write the book about sobriety, which was essentially a method and a lifestyle that I was already practicing. And I really wanted to give language to what that meant so that people could do this work, not instead of all the other things that we do, all the other trauma modalities or all the other addiction and recovery modalities, but in addition to. And that's essentially where sobriety came from. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. 
Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. I mean, it's amazing. And for people listening who aren't necessarily familiar with addiction recovery, first of all, it's incredibly like the rate at which people maintain long term sobriety is grim, right? Would, would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. I think that's due to the fact that we don't look at the underlying trauma. Yeah. And it's not an uncommon story that around, I always say, so my like 12 step home group every month, there's like a birthday meeting and it's just people Mm -hmm. lining up in order of how many years they have. And the gap between, I would say probably seven to 15 years it's no one. There's no one there. And I think a lot of people get that. Oh, is this all there is? Or is this, I'm not like, this isn't making me happy anymore. Um, So you have these people who are like one to five years who are still like completely on fire for recovery and their sobriety. And then there's the people who are like 15 plus who just are really grounded in themselves. But it is, it's very, it's not uncommon at all to have that like seven to 15 years where people either stop working on themselves, they start drinking. um, And unfortunately, there's a lot of suicides in for people who are in Mm -hmm. recovery, because, you know, they did the thing they thought they needed to do, and they still weren't happy. So I think this work is, is so important for for that aspect. Yeah, for me, it was sobriety, you know, first there was this decision to be abstinent and then there was sobriety, which was gave me, like I said, a design for how to live and redirect my moral compass, as you were saying, and all of these things that how to show up as a young woman 
and be appropriate and all of these things that I hadn't learned. And so, but after that, life happens and heartbreak happens and job loss happens and you get fired by clients and, you know, breakups and families and all of it. And I wasn't as prepared to deal with life on life's terms without taking a deeper look at myself. And that's where this lifestyle of doing soul work, which I call growing down, mm-hmm. growing down into my more authentic self and really widening the lens of psychology for all things, grief, heartbreak, addiction, trauma, whatever it is, to not only heal, but the most important thing is to find meaning and purpose afterwards and sort of enrich this. It Soul enriches the perspective in which you're looking at everything through. And, you know, let's talk about heartbreak, right? Yeah. So that's what we're all here for. Okay. So when I had So obviously I've had many heartbreaks at this age, but the most recent one, when I was finishing school, my master's and doctorate at that school and sober a long time and had a lot of information and was knew a lot, right? Knew a lot up here, but was in this very, very unhealthy relationship and in so many ways that I couldn't even see while I was in it. And then it ended rather abruptly and not surprisingly, but still shockingly. And so I was frozen. I didn't know what I was going to do. I did not feel like I was going to drink or drug, but I did feel like I had to get out of myself. I did feel that enormous pain of, you know, everyone asking, what do you need? What do you need? What can I do? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm frozen. I can't move. And I want to just lie in bed under the covers and not go anywhere. And so I had to turn to what I was teaching, right? I had to turn to, okay, well, how do we do this? Because you're a survivor, you're not going to lie here forever. And let's, you know, put your money where your mouth is. The way that you do soul work is through imagery, through personifying, through imagination, through the imaginal, right? Soul is not this very distinct definition of words. So how do you describe it? You describe it in imagery, in metaphor, you look at mythology to explain what it is and how it feels. So what I did was I created, I needed to create an image to work on of how I felt in my body, what the pain felt like. So what I did was I started to write a story essentially to create imagery of what the pain felt like. And it was this like crazy, crazy, very elaborate story that was not real, but was how I felt. Mm. And then I was able to go to work on that 
imagery and start to work on it piece by piece. Essentially, it felt like I describe in the imagery that I was being stabbed over and over and over again, right? In my gut, bleeding out, everything was all over. My blood was just dripping all over the kitchen floor. And this figure, this dark figure is coming closer and closer and closer to me. And I'm begging, please just stop, just stop, just stop. Can you stop? And I'm starting to fall to the floor. And now I'm saying, can you get help? Can you get help? And this figure with this nasty, creepy smile and just a black face just looks at me and walks away. And then I'm just lying on the floor, dying. And then I have this moment where I close my eyes and I wake up again and I'm sitting up and I see all those pieces of myself on the floor scattered around. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, okay, A, how are you going to put all those pieces back together? That could take forever. And even if you accomplish that, you're never going to look the same. And that's sort of where the work began with, okay, so I have this image of the pieces. I have these moments where I can look at what was broken, but what was broken for me, not for, not for him. He wasn't a, a part of the healing process. It was only me. That's so powerful because I think there's something to be said about being able to actually articulate what the problem is, even if it's in this, in the form of this exercise of just being able to say like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. Cause a lot of times people don't, don't know. They just feel that the paralyzation that you talked about in the beginning. And so they don't even really have a way to start moving forward and so being able to mm-hmm. put that into words i think is something incredibly powerful for people to be able to do yeah because one word alone do not cover the extent of that heartbreak and you breaking into a million pieces oftentimes people will say it feels like a piece of me is missing it feels like i'm not myself anymore it feels like right? All of these different things. So when I'm looking at it through a soul perspective, essentially it's soul loss and you have to be able to get that back. And so this is one of the ways that I have found to be helpful. And that really helped me and sort of solidified my methodology of sobriety. Yeah. I mean, it's even going back to, I'm trying to picture like what my exercise would have looked like when I first got sober and it's, and it's that same thing of, of, of soul loss of, I, I, I don't know where to go mm-hmm. from here. I don't, I don't even know who I am. Exactly. Once you take that, that piece, that piece out. So I think being able to, especially, and I was going to ask you like the, the concept of a lot of people will tell me that they feel addicted to their ex Mm-hmm. And do you find that there is a lot of, I guess, relational addiction that that goes on? Yes. One word we use for it, and this is not, you know, across the board for everybody, but is this trauma bond. Yeah. So we've had trauma in our life. They've had some trauma in our life. It's coming together in a way that it probably, right, people say like, it's so hard. I wish it wasn't so hard to break up. Well, it 
if it was easy, you'd still be together. Like there's no good breakup ever. Yeah. So knowing that there's no good breakup ever, what we want to do is look back and say, okay, well, what, what was my part? Where do I need to grow down? Not even part. Sometimes we don't even have a part, right? But where do I need to grow down? How do I put some sort of meaning and some sort of purpose in my life moving forward from this situation that I was in? Because life is a series of soul journeys. And so this trauma bond happened for a reason. And that's what you're addicted to. You're addicted to the chaos. You're addicted to the trauma that you're not ready to let go of. And so your work to do is to say, it's not about that person, right? It's about how you feel when that person comes to you, right? It's not about the drink. It's not about the drug. It's about the dopamine hit. Yeah. And the question is, but why? Why do I need this? What lies underneath it? What feeling, what moment, what event am I trying to get away from? And to start to look at what lies underneath. What is the root cause of me needing this person? You know, is it codependency? Is it my self-esteem? Is it that I have a fear of intimacy? And so this relationship worked, you know, where... Do I have a lack of communication skills? What are the things that I can be working on? Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of the stuff that I talk about is this idea of exactly what you said, like the healing does not involve your ex. It involves just you. But I tell people like it's going to be very difficult to uncover what's underneath that if you don't give it, if you don't create the space that's needed in order for that to happen, you're not going to know what's hiding underneath what's the the band-aid or the underlying condition that this person was medicine for for you yeah exactly and i moved across the country to create the space and the trauma bond the trauma bond the trauma bond kept bringing me back and it wasn't until like there's going to be that one moment just like with drinking or using or anything else there's going to be one moment where it's done it's just done. And whether you call it or they call it, it's done. And it's not the same anymore. And so what we're chasing is romanticizing about what it looked like maybe in the beginning, but it isn't that anymore. And, but listen, I don't get me wrong. I spent a few months sad, isolating, not doing anything before I was ready to sort of dust myself off, you know, get out of my sweatpants and start to look at the work. So give yourself the space to grieve the loss of something that you loved, because whether it was good for you or bad for you, you loved this person. And so grief is this is the the opposite. It's, you know, misplaced love it's having nowhere to put the love that you that you want to give to someone Mm. essentially what that looks like is grief yeah that makes perfect sense and does the work within sobriety is that something because i think a lot of people the thing that feels so prominent and present now is likely something that happened 
however long ago, is it something where you can kind of trace that back and look at past experiences, past trauma, and be able to to work through it years later? Definitely. So it is about knowing your story, creating a timeline maybe of your story without going into the trauma. So if something that you know to be traumatic happened, you might just want to write on your timeline trauma. You don't need to go into the specifics, especially if you're not working with some sort of clinical, you know, clinician or expert in the area at all. But you want to be mindful of where were their ruptures and also where are your strengths? What are the things that light you up? You want to be doing both. And that was why the exercise was so powerful back then to go back and say, well, when I was little, I wanted to be a doctor. And now that wasn't going to be possible to be a medical doctor. But yeah, it led me down this path of becoming, you know, a PhD. So essentially, like, let's go back to the things that lit us up, the things that we love. And let's be clear on where the ruptures were. And then let's go get the help that we need, that we're supported, whether that's a support group or with an expert in the area, and really go back and say, okay, I need to heal this. Trauma is not about the event that happened. Some people don't even remember the event Mm -hmm. that happened. But it's about having that feeling in the present time and not being able to move through your life because of it. So if you're in a relationship and everything that he or she says is triggering and makes you feel like a pit in your stomach or you're just people pleasing or you're just trying to, or you don't feel quite like yourself when you're in these moments, you can't communicate, you're afraid, you're walking on eggshells, whatever it is, that is a sign that there was another time where maybe you felt that way. That's still very much can be present in my marriage. I had a very traumatic relationship when I was 18. And there are times where I have to catch myself like getting so heated and activated by Mm -hmm. my husband. And I have to pause and realize, okay, I think this is something that's popping up from the past and it's not something Mm -hmm. that necessarily has anything to do with you. And that's after like, I mean, I did right around five years, I started doing EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I really had to dig into that, that past stuff because it does, I don't know, it does catch up, unfortunately. Yeah. Trauma's held in your body. It's a nervous system issue. It's not necessarily, yes, it has effects on your brain as far as whether you're in fight or flight or you're in the survival part of your brain and you're not able to come online and use the rational part of your brain, but it also lives as a visceral feeling in your body. And that is what we want to release. That's the healing that we want. Do you think that people who go through an inciting incident like a breakup, you said it's not always surprising, but always shocking. I loved how you said, I want to like, remember what you said about breakups, not always surprising, but always shocking. I love that putting that kind of incident 
do you feel like that does activate past trauma for a lot of people? Yes. I mean, for me, it was abandonment. It was all my insecurities of not being good enough. It was so many things that it touched upon. And the first action is you want to fix it with the person. You want closure. We all want closure. Mm -hmm. We want instant gratification and we want closure. I want to discuss it right now, what happened, and get on the phone immediately or come over so we can discuss and have a complete like, you know, retelling of the entire relationship and see where it went wrong. Okay, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So that's when you sort of have to go back and go, okay, well, how do I feel? Like, I know I can write a, you know, I can write five books on what was wrong with him, but (laughs) but we're not going to do that. (laughs) What we're going to do is really look at where do I need to grow? Where do I need to grow down? And so those insecurities, those abandonment issues, those negative beliefs, those trust issues, all of those things created, I created, you know, there's, there's, there's three people in the relationship. There's the two people that are in it. And then there's the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. And I co-created that from my own belief system and from what I needed, what I expected and what I wanted. And that looks very, very different from the person that I am today. I, despite, you know, whatever negativity and all of that that he brought, I had my own version of who I thought I was. And I'm not that person at all anymore. Yeah. Such a beautiful thing. And also I feel like can't be reached until you can get to that point of realizing that you did co-create the relationship and going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning about those little whispers that we Mm -hmm. get that we so often just shush until they become so, so loud. And I think for a long time, just using me for an example, the I felt like I did so many kind of quick fix things for self-esteem issues and just kept being like, okay, I'm just going to push this away. I'm just going to get into action and that'll quiet my, that's always been my thing. If I'm in action, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. hear the whispers, but being able to to stop and listen and say, okay, what are they saying? Where is this coming from? Instead of just trying to push them away. Yeah. The whispers are coming from soul. So, you know really learning a way to connect and then utilize, right, our inner knowing. That's essentially what sobriety is about. How do we learn to listen and take it seriously? Yeah. There were so many times before the the blow up event where the whispers could not have been more clear. Like they were literally (laughs) phone calls, get out, run, hurry now. (laughs) They were no longer whispers. They were like cheerleaders on the side screaming at me. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I love, yeah. Until, what'd you say? Until a brick house falls on top of you. Yeah. Until a brick house falls on top of you. And for that, to me, the image is when in the Wizard of Oz, when the brick house falls on the witch. Yeah. Right. 
And then the witch's feet are just there and she can't go anywhere. You know, the metaphor of that feeling of I can't move, so I have to change. Yeah. I love that. And I I I I love that the more you're talking about the concept of grow down, it, it just makes so much sense of growing down to the soul and developing like it's almost like you're talking about developing like a channel of communic like communication between inner communication. Yeah, inner communication. Your inner world. Yeah. Right. So much information comes in that we are conscious of. And we can practice mindfulness or things that are going to bring us right into the present, into our consciousness. But we also have a ton of information that gets pushed into the unconscious, whether we know it or not. And if we're not able to actively go into our unconscious, our unconscious will end up shaping our personality, our behavior and our beliefs. And so essentially, that's the practice of doing soul work is learning how to make what is unknown known so that we can work on it. That's amazing. And there's so many, I mean, again, just looking at this through the filter of breakups, there's just so many practical applications of being able to do that, whether it's how to know how to heal yourself after a breakup. I hear from mm -hmm. so many people that they have this huge fear of approaching any new relationship post breakup because they don't feel like they can trust themselves or they don't know themselves enough to choose a partner that's the right fit for them. And so there's just so many ways that being able to develop that inner communication that yes. um, will serve so many people, not just in romantic relationships. I mean, this this goes far beyond that, but yeah, um, so many practical applications within a breakup. And I really hope everyone runs to get your book after after hearing this and so grateful for for the work that that you did as a result of the things you were going through. I mean, the like the road that you paved from all of those struggles is is really incredible. So thank you. Can you talk a little bit about how people can find you and and get the book and and all of those things and I'll I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes mm -hmm. for people. So our website for recovery management agency is drhallerman.com and that's drhallerman.com and that has all the information about what we do at RMA and how we work and all the different aspects of the kind of healing and wellness we work with clients on. And then you can follow me on Dr. Elisa Hallerman on Instagram and learn more about what I think, what's real, what's not, and how I see the world through the lens of soul and also as an expert in trauma and addiction. Amazing. Amazing. Well, and I think I might be an expert in heartbreak too. I know you are. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my. Yeah, my resume, right? And look back and think, thank all the men in my life. <laughs> I think about that often. I feel like intuitively, I kind of always knew that there was a lot of connections between getting sober and getting over an mm -hmm. ex. The more experts like you that I get to talk to, and the more that I just get to dive into it, it's there's just so many connections between the two of them. So, so yeah. related. Yeah. And I love what you said about breaking up 
and this can be a whole other episode of breaking up with friends because I think that is in itself a whole other episode about breaking up with with your friends or other women in your life that no longer fit the dynamic of what you're here to do or anything you know it's not this mutual connection anymore and that's you know I've dealt with that and that's that's tricky one and that's you you have to look at it and really really understand the essence of what's going on there and that kind of a heartbreak not dismiss it that it's not as powerful as with the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever kind of romantic love you're in yeah yeah I actually have someone coming on the podcast soon and Erin Falconer she wrote a book called how to break up with your friends Mm -hmm. and her work's really interesting of like Mm kind of doing this yearly inventory of agreed who's serving me who's not who's a drain who's filling me up all that kind of which we we, you know we just never think to do so I think it's a really interesting topic too it's so great one of my friends said to me the other day she said now that so-and-so is not in your life do you feel lighter do you feel better and I was like I 100% do it is such a difference it is night and day and I'm just proud of myself that I was able to do it yeah it's so interesting how it is people can weigh you down in that energetic Mm -hmm. way So, well, thank you so much again, Dr. Elisa. It was so nice to meet you and everyone, please go out and get sobriety. And I'm excited to to see what you do next. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was awesome. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.